Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back, everyone. So good to be here again. It has been so long. Yeah, our summer vacation, such as it was, uh, has come and passed. We hope you all had a beautiful summer of 2019, no matter when you are picking up this podcast. And we are going to be returning to another one of our series here on Cosmere Conversations. I mean, heretofore, it has not been a series since there's only one episode, but now... It's a series. It is a because series we beginning now. Are doing another episode of Words of Brandon. Basically, what I always realize either A, anytime I go on the internet, or B, anytime we mention random theories on the podcast, is that Brandon writes a lot and talks a lot. God, he talks so much. He has so many words. So in many words. All the different mediums that are about the Cosmere. It's really tough to keep track. It's very hard to keep up with all of the words of Brandon. And I think we've kind of talked about before, like, it's so great that he offers us additional information and tidbits, and he does a really great job of, like, knowing what to say and what not to say. But I do find it an overwhelming part of the fandom and, like, part that I do not have the time or energy to like read and memorize every yeah, word of Brandon. Yeah. In the way it seems that like some people do have the time and energy to be able to do. Um, so that's why I think these episodes are really great because if you also are like, the only time I have to, you know, do stuff in the Cosmere is listening to this podcast on my commute. Totally don't have time to like plunder the internet for every word of Brandon. This is for you so that you get these little tidbits of info without having to take all of that time and effort. Yeah, because it is a lot. Pretty much every time Brandon is in public, people are asking him questions. Other people are recording those answers writing them, throwing them up onto a variety of different sites. But mostly the Arcanum, which is the collected words of Brandon. So if you ever have, you know, just a day of boredom when all you want to do is read people's questions, there are probably thousands of hours uh, worth of words you can... A lot of hours. But we have just kind of gone through especially a lot that happened recently with, yeah i mean like 2019 certainly but even in the last couple of months uh we've just been you know picking up on things that we missed or weren't paying attention to because as we all know this year has been a little bit of the cosmere drought we have one thing coming out soon and that is yes white the- sand volume three coming out in a couple of months yeah and so keep an eye out for that However, the reason that we're coming back to this Words of Brandon is also as preparation for the release of Stormlight Archive next year. There's Mistborn stuff going on. 2020 is just going to be a great Cosmere year, and the fans know it, and they're, they're building their theories, and they're asking Brandon all about it. So that's what this episode is for. Let's start with 
uh, a word of Brandon that a podcast listener pointed us to, user Sildara. Sildara, what up? Long time. No here, except when we mess up, you let us know. <laughs> yeah. Sildara is real on top of our errors, which is great. We and friend had... of the pod, long-term listener, like way yeah. back in the uh, Cosmere cage match days, we got some stuff from Sildara. That's true. Yeah. Very uh, active in the community. So thanks, man. Or lady man. Yeah. <laughs> um, last episode, we had talked about Yim possibly being a edge dancer like Lyft based on some things that Wendell had said in Edge Dancer. However, there is a word of Brandon about this disputing that. Uh, somebody asked if Yim would become a truth watcher and Brandon Sanderson said yes. We also believe this applies, or at least while not having the same amount of confirmation, uh, to the stump who was featured in Edge Dancer as the yeah. like, runner manager of the orphanage and had healing powers. And so that is one of the two surges that Edge Dancers and Truth Watchers share. So character-wise, that's Lyft, our girl, and Renarin are our examples of those two radiant classes. But what is so confusing, and we actually said this in the podcast, you know, we don't have a great example of an edge dancer because Lyft is such a game breaker and kind of weird with her yeah. cultivation messing and around. And same with Renarin. But same with Renarin. Like, we, we don't can't really have... say that he's a standard truth watcher. Like there is nothing, we can't really base truth watchers around him because who knows? Yeah, because of the corrupted nature of his spren and yet that spren still working just fine when it comes to doing truth watcher stuff. Seems like anyway. So really that's kind of the a fix for ourselves, you know, a, a mistake that we made uh jumping to conclusions. And you don't want to jump to conclusions, even if you have the mat for it. That's a deep reference. You're welcome. Let's move right along, though, because Brandon has had a very active summer all around the world, from Germany to Seattle. I mean, this man just gets around, and he is answering questions everywhere that he goes, and we have a bunch to get to. So we're just going to kind of go in order. These are lightly organized uh, based on topic slash book. Um, we also pulled some from the Facebook and the Twitter. So we are just kind of a little bit all over the place, but we're trying to keep it as organized as possible. Yeah. So next topic to dive into, which we also talked a little bit about last episode, one of my favorite topics, Amia. We've got a couple of kind of cool comments about the Amians and Amia in general. A user named Javi asked Brandon on July 18th of this year, I'm really curious about Amia, and I hope to see more about it in the fourth book. Have the Heralds or Hoyd been there, and will they reveal some stuff about it? Brandon answered, Yes, the Heralds have been there, and yes, Hoyd has been there. However, I don't think there will be info about Amia in book four, but in a novella I'm planning to write, like Edge Dancer. That story will be about some characters traveling to Amia. End quote. 
What a roller coaster of an answer. Because first I'm like, damn it, what do you mean there's not going to be any Amy on book four? And then he goes on to say there's going to be a whole novella about it. What? I can't wait for that. Obviously, we know that Amia is shrouded in mystery, also like shrouded in fog or something. It's very difficult very shrouded. to get to. Yeah, just <laughs> shrouded in all the different ways. But we saw a bunch from Arklo uh, in Edge Dancer as kind of our pulling back the veil on what the Amians are and can be. They got those little Kremlings running around. And another user... Hoyd through the grapevine. Great username, by the way. Real, real solid username there. I mean, that is top notch. Uh, Asked, quote, are the Diocesan Amian agents of cultivation? If not, are they in league with another group that we have seen before? And Brandon answered, kind of yes to both. Kind of. Brandon, always so vague in some of his answers. So we know that cultivation is definitely kind of pulling some strings kind of being a little puppet master yeah but we don't know really she's like kind of trying to stay hidden and keep it on the dl you know because of odium but with people like lift and dalinar she is sort of strategically trying to put pieces in place and maybe the dicey anemians are something like that they have some kind of connection or communication with cultivation yeah it seems like characters like lift and talonar would be your big players or game breakers meant to like cause big shifts um the amians obviously with their kremlin ability make great scouts and spies kind of keeping cultivation in the know you know like back in the day uh sherlock holmes the classic version he had like little orphan children who he had on his, I don't know, payroll or something. But payroll. Yeah, basically, he would like have a whole network of orphan spies around the city, and that's how he was so informed about the different going-ons and stuff. So basically Lord Varys. Yes, exactly. That's actually an interesting... I wonder if George R. R. Martin took some inspiration, because... I would say probably 100%. Lord Varys does have kind of a weird, perverted Sherlock Holmes thing going on. I don't know. I kind of like that. And how I want just a story about Lord Varys and his little orphan children that he's got running around through the realm. Actually, we can't get off on a Game of Thrones tangent. Stay focused, Brooke. Here we go. Let's look into Madrid for all you Spanish listeners, uh, this is a question or a couple of questions uh, about the ones above. From Sixth of the Dusk. Questioner says, could you compare the ones above technology with your idea of Scadrial Era 4? Brandon Sanderson, yes. Then the same person asked, so could the people be related? Could Scadrial be the origin for the ones above? And Brandon replied that, yes, they are definitely related. So this has been a pretty big speculation for some time that Mistborn Era 4, people are the ones above people. It sounds like that is at least pretty close to the truth, if not exactly the same, then, you know, definitely related is maybe just referring to the fact that they are like descendants of the Mistborn people that we know now. Yeah, and I I kind of wonder also if there is maybe a little bit of 
Scadrial Era Four technology that has spread through the Cosmere, and so that's how they're related. That maybe, like, without Scadrian Era Four, other societies wouldn't be able to get to Six of the Dusk, and they, that other society, are in fact the ones above. Maybe it's not Scadrian. Or I'm also wondering, like, by this point, I would imagine that there would be other populations that have gained traveling abilities in some way and have maybe traveled to Scadrial and then those peoples have intermixed and kind of made a new population of people from that interbreeding. It does get very complex when we start talking about the timelines far in the future of hundreds or thousands of years plus the kind of exponential factor that technology throws in and we know a bunch of the societies are working on technological upgrades that in our own society were on the edge of massive societal and technological change. Uh, We have firearms, obviously, things like trains going on in the Scadrian universe. But even like on Rashar, with the inventions that are pushed forward by Navani and uh, the different... Fabrials? Yeah, the different Fabrial technology that she's working on are a lot more magic-inspired than maybe some of the most basic technology, but um, we can definitely see how those would play out in a manner in which changes all of society in a very rapid sense and like has a huge amount of transformation that is possible. I think, though, that like outside of technology... Going back to what I said earlier, like the idea that people are going to start traveling between planets, whether that is through the cognitive realm or magically or literally through space, brings up like so many questions about interbreeding and genetics and like how people's magic is going to work on other planets, which like previously or up until this point, I guess, I've always thought like, well, I mean, this is like mostly theoretical talking about what would happen if a Mistborn was on Rashar or something. But at some point, like down the line, that's going to be a real thing. Like people are going to start traveling. And then that's a real question of like, how do these magics actually interact on different planets? And then if, you know, a Skadrian and a Rasharan end up having children, what does that child look like? It is kind of also begs the question of is Hoyd with his magic combination slash collecting kind of a precursor to more wide scale societal intermingling of the magic systems. Uh, And he's maybe kind of looking as a way to get ahead of the ball or get ahead of the game a little bit and kind of understand the changes so he can do that nudge nudge thing that Hoyd likes to do. Well, it's like a circle of life, right? Like Hoyd is sort of an encapsulation of a world pre-shattering. Everything was together. He has like all investiture and then shattering everything splinters and then it's all going to end up, you know, coming back together like the theory of the universe, basically. Big bang, expand, expand, and then everything dies. All comes back together. All starts over. sound effect too. That's exactly what's going to happen to the entire universe. Hope you guys are ready. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. We will not be around. Speaking of Rashar, let's jump over to the Germany signing from June of this year, where 
there's a bunch of different Stormlight questions or Rasharian questions that we wanted to hit upon. One is also the beginning of my favorite theory or favorite topic. Uh, So let's begin there. (laughs) Question asked by Paleo. Quote, are the Ashenite magic system in which microorganisms cause diseases and bestow powers and the old magic of Rashar related? You could sort of see the powers and the disease as Mm. a boon and a curse. If so, does the old part come from that? That's a super interesting question. That's what Brandon said. Uh, Additionally, he also answered. Yes, they are related, but the name comes from the magic actually predating Spren Bonds. So this is super interesting because we start kind of seeing how different magic systems are related in this way, I think, because on Ashen, people are struck by a disease, which then gives them a power. We also see something like this in Elantris, right? Of Mm, like the Riyadh striking people and then they become Elantrians. Um, And on First of the Sun, which is the planet from Six of the Dusk, we have the birds who ingest a parasite that gives them powers. Oh, and uh, white sand. Yes. Where there is microorganisms on the sand that are actually the things that power the magic, not the sand itself. Yeah, it's the big gigantic snake uh, thingamagai who like eats the sand, ingests the sand, and then a film from inside uh, his body has a bunch of microorganisms. And when it's excreted out, the microorganisms stay on the sand um, and that is where the magic comes from. So we kind of see like all of these different magic systems really getting at a very, very base level. Yeah, these like microscopic levels, which is really interesting and cool. It's really interesting. It begs a lot of questions or introduces a lot of possible questions and as has been mentioned once or twice before, I am obsessed with the different microbiomes and all the little critters that are running around on the real small scale that make up so much of what goes on on the large scale. Uh, And I think that this kind of question about what's going on with the microorganisms is a big thing in Brandon's mind, even if it's not the thing that he is writing the stories about. Yeah, it's cool that this detail exists and goes back to something we've talked about before of Brandon Sanderson having hard magic systems that are like really based in the physical world and not just like, I don't know, I was born this way. Magic, magic. Yeah, you're not just like the chosen one and you like yeah. spin your wand around and like shoot sparks and just like there is a thought out process not just on each planet but across the cosmere where there are similarities and there are um, kind of basic levels of this universe that are all related and that is the basic difference between a hard and a soft magic system that brandon does so well next question about stormlight archive is in Stormlight Archive, the Storm Father refers to several people as Child of Honor, but only Kaladin as Child of Tanavast. Is there significance to that? 
Brandon answers, yes, there is. What is the significance? I don't think that I've noticed this other than like, you know, subconsciously. But it yeah, is, I think I did notice and was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I was like Tanavest. Oh, he's trying to tell us that Tanavest and Honor are the same thing. You know, one is the, but let's be like clear about this. Honor is the shard and Tanavast is the holder of that shard. Is it possible that Ch- that Kaladin is an actual descendant yeah. of Tanavast? That's what I'm thinking. That's what this so cool implies, at least to me. I mean, it is. I don't think necessarily that there's like a kind of a Mary and Joseph thing uh, <laughs> with Tanavast <laughs> stepping in with Kaladin's mom. Well, no, but Tanavast probably had a life had before a life. becoming exactly. a vessel. That's what I think it is. Like, I, I don't think he's the legitimate first generation offspring of Tanavas, but oh obviously he is like a just a, a descendant. descendant yeah yeah and that would maybe maybe that has to do with all of the different um radiance in one way or another maybe it's just the wind runners um uh, but like you could kind of imagine through history that there are Kaladin's ancestors or Tanavast descendants who over time are always leaders in the Windrunners. Does that apply to other of the uh, Radiant classes? I don't know, but maybe Kaladin had a little bit of extra oomph or some extra help uh, yeah. to become the first Windrunner in this cycle of the Desolations. Uh, and that he is, he is a direct descendant. And so that's like where the Spren might look first um, when they are, you know, going through the list of like, hey, we need yeah, some humans like to bond through. his spirit web is a little bit stronger in that way or something. Yeah, it brings up some questions too about the idea of are there some extra powers or abilities uh, bestowed upon the child of Tanavast? I wouldn't think so. Because it's not like, if we're assuming that this was pre-becoming a vessel, it's not like Tanavast had any special powers that we know of at this moment before becoming a vessel. Um, But why does it have to be pre-becoming a vessel? Because I don't think you can have children when you have ascended into godhood and don't have a physical body. But you would still have a physical body as your your vessel or at least for some amount of time you may or may not have a physical body but we do know that cultivation and honor were a item a couple of sorts is it possible that kaladin is descendant of that original bond like who else would be tanavas running around with other than I don't lady think, vessel from everything we know about shards and vessels that would not be possible because the vessels would have to like release the power, come back to their physical bodies, make love, have a baby, and then somehow take up their powers again with nothing, you know, intervening in the time in between that. I don't know if anyone has to like give up their powers to become or inhabit a human body. Um, if they've ascended, they don't have a body. 
I think there is at least a little bit of a question of when did any bonding uh, or, you know, lovemaking, if you want to be so vulgar. I was trying to use the nice word. (laughs) Is it a Tanavast and vessel of cultivation? Is it before Tanavast was a vessel in any way, shape, or form pre-Adenalsium? Like, I don't know those answers, but I think it definitely introduces another question about can vessels of a shard still have like a romantic relationship still be running around in their bodies making love to people kind of like a you know greek or roman mythology yeah. style a zeus yeah uh, exactly scenario. Where they're just always like inhabiting bodies human sometimes not human they were real weird about stuff lots just of animals impregnating everything that they saw um is that a possibility of the shards i don't think we've seen anything like that or True. to give us evidence of that but this question is definitely an interesting one and like great pull to recognize the difference between yeah. child of honor and child of tanavas what's the next one this is a great question too can a mistborn use investiture from a high storm and brandon's answer is that It takes some effort to convert the investiture. They can burn metals from other planets, though. Now, take some effort doesn't mean it's impossible. Right. It means there's some loss in the transition. But how, when you're dealing with something like a high storm, which as far as we know is almost infinite investiture, it's like a direct line Mm -hmm. to the power of honor, uh... You know, does a conversion rate really matter? And if I was just giving you infinite dollars, were you like, well, the conversion to yen is a real bummer for me. (laughs) No, it doesn't matter. You have the infinite amount of dollars. You have infinite amount of investiture. Yeah, but it could be that like the process for collecting, extracting, and like imbibing that investiture is so long and or complicated that it hinders your ability to use it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that it's going to be as easy as walking around with uh, your some, metals, some metals or some like or- stormlight orbs. What are they called? Chips, coins, spheres, spheres. There we go. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as easy as taking like some spheres to another place and yeah. easily using that magic. But it does introduce kind of concepts of burning metals from other uh-huh. planets uh, because we've previously thought that the reason metal was special on Scadrial and the reasons that humans on Scadrial were able to use it is because all metal and all humans were created by ruin and preservation on Scadrial. Right, and that, so that, that investiture was a- is like part of the planet because the metals are being created on the planet They have that specific type of investiture. So then that does kind of beg questions. Obviously, on other planets, we have seen similar metals, right? We can assume that things like steel or whatnot exist on other planets. But like, what if there are different special metals on other planets? Yeah, Yeah, something like that. It is one of those topics that also gets us back to the trade between planets and the Cosmere economy because I had previously thought that again the metals on Scadrial were significant and important 
because they were made by ruin and preservation to be significant and important. But if basically any metal across the Cosmere has whatever is necessary, the latent investiture uh, for a Mistborn to use, that is interesting. And does it mean that uh, Mistborn doesn't have to take metal with them from Scadrial and they can just show up on a planet like Rishar uh, and then just start using iron and all of the other different metals? I was about to just start going down a list and then realize that would be <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, but just like all the different metals, with the exception of, you know, ATM uh, and the, the kind of yeah. god metals that are specific to Scadrial. Lots of questions about the crossover. All of a sudden, our... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, this next one is really good. Okay. Go. Did the Shin use honor blades in their invasion? If yes, did they also use surges? And Brandon says, yes and yes. Boom shakalaka. Now, we know from Oathbringer that the Shin are from Ashen. Ashen, Ashen, they're Shin. That's at least what I think happened linguistically. Uh, but the idea that they are not only the modern holders of the honor blades, you know, wanting to keep all of them training, we assume many different people in their society, Zeth, just at one example, uh, in use of all the different honor blades, had those honor blades on Ashen and used them as part of their invasion and their conquering of Rashar. And they had surges. So basically, they're the Knights Radiant or just the surges related to the Honor Blades. Yeah, wouldn't that make them more like the Heralds? I mean, it makes them like Zeth was, right? He used an Honor Blade to gain the powers yeah. of the surges. But they, so is it the surges correspond to the Honor Blades and then the Spren saw that and tried to do it themselves and created the Radiance? Or are there yeah. Spren also on Ashen that are have already done this no, type of bonding? I think the former is what we have heard in the books so far. Yeah, exactly. And so like these deep questions that we'll just... I just want to know all of the backstory of freaking Rashar. And Ashen. And yeah, and the Shin. The Risharian system. <laughs> because we do know that uh, once you bond with the Spren, you are kind of locked on Rashar. In fact, someone asked a question about this regarding Hoyd. The question was, now that Hoyd has bonded a Spren, is he locked on Rashar? And Brandon answered, yes, that is a problem. Something will happen that is relevant. Raffo. So at least generally, I think that the norm is a Spren cannot leave Rashar. And that if you are bonded with a Spren, you can either choose uh to leave rashar without your spren and lose your powers or stay on rashar right it seems like some kind of something would have to happen with the spirit web there if you're gonna leave rashar after having bonded a spren now i don't think that's probably gonna happen for the main characters we know but we know hoyd isn't gonna be limited yeah i by think any that's silly rules interesting that hoyd would like make that commitment I mean, maybe he doesn't know that he would be locked on Rashar, but I would guess he would. So either he's like, okay with chilling on Rashar for a little bit, or 
I don't know. I mean, Hoyt always has a plan, so. I mean, it seems like an important <laughs> time to be on Rashar. So, I mean, yeah. It's not the worst time to be locked in. I mean, imagine there were like, you know, hundreds of years when there was no desolation and everyone was just kind of mildly happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hoyt's like, F this place. This is boring. <laughs> We've got some more interesting questions about the Risharian world. One person asked, have we seen ghost bloods in action outside of the Risharian system? And Brandon said, you have seen proto-ghost bloods, but not after their actual initiation. So I'm assuming this might be like uh, recruits. Maybe if they are, like, sent on a mission to, like, prove themselves in order to become a ghost blood. It also kind of means that ghost bloods are also locked to Rashar. I mean, at least after their initiation, it doesn't seem like we have seen any outside of that system. Yeah, I mean, maybe not, like, actually physically locked, but I think just the goals of the ghost bloods as a group are Rasharan-centric. So if you become a ghost blood, like all of your interests are essentially on Rashar. I do kind of wonder if we'll ever see, I mean, he said a proto ghost bloods. So maybe a I mean, group we know... that we already know about becomes the ghost bloods or like some of those, their members become the ghost bloods. Mm, I'm more thinking like, we know that members of the ghost bloods like Mraze and um, Ayatil are ethnically not from the Risharan system, right? Like they were on other planets, were born on other planets before coming here. So I'm wondering if like that's more of what he's meaning. Like you've seen them on other planets, but they weren't ghost bloods at that time. Possible. Interesting. I, I kind of wonder if it is oh, like a whole group that we maybe know and are even familiar with, you know, the Elantrians, they could always, we don't have enough of a backstory about what's been going on on Elantris. It's a very big world. I mean, remember that uh, we also have the Rose Empire, uh, Shy's story that takes place or is on Elantris. So there's just a lot about these worlds that we don't have full information about. Like, for example, the creepy uh, monks. I forgot what their name is. but from The decor. There you go. Thank you. Who's to say that those creepy monks don't become creepy ghost bloods in the future? Possible? Maybe? Is there any evidence of that? No. I can speculate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, go on to another question. From Cryos, quote, if you have a form of manipulating your identity and a form of healing, are you able to shapeshift or even evolve your body like growing wings? Brandon Sanderson responded, you'd have to do some real work on your spirit web to make that work. It take more work than you're implying, but the Parshendi, for instance, are doing this. It'll take a little bit more work. It's not just blanking your identity. Hemalurgy would make it very easy, but also very evil. But what you want to achieve is possible. End quote. Whoa. And I think this actually does get back to the decor, who are changing their physical body uh, and manipulating themselves in a way, not yeah. to the extent that this guy or gal yeah. or non-gender identifying individual is 
suggesting about growing wings. Uh, yeah, because I think, and I think you're right to take this to sell for like a comparison, because if you think about it the way Shy would think about it, carving a stamp, right? Like someone would have to edit their spirit web in a plausible way to like make their body believe mm-hmm. that it had always had wings and could fly and you, you know and it would like, probably be easier like, to do that's with a, a tail. big stretch yeah exactly like it would be easier to do it with a tail because that's something that is like plausible and at least in our human history um we have like ex- the remnants existing yeah, yeah. Some, yeah so i think that that is maybe an interesting connection back to soul stamping uh, because we know a lot is possible in terms of body manipulation uh, with the decor and with Shy's abilities, uh, but it really does still have a link to the spirit web. And so, obviously, hemalurgy as like brute force evil hacking uh, on the spirit web may be able to create some weird, oh man, what was that? The island? The Island of Misfit Toys. What was, there was this creepy book. It was like a short story. The Island of Dr. Moreau. H.G. Wells story from the end of the 19th century about some shipwrecked people who get trapped on an island where a doctor is like creating human-animal hybrids. Very trippy to a young mind. Uh, but you could imagine that Dr. Moreau in the Cosmere is definitely using some hemology <laughs> and like splicing together some birds and people to give them wings gross uh (laughs) next question was taldane one of the planets of the eriali long trail was scadriel and brandon just says raffo but i thought that was so interesting and like such a deep pull this comes from our good old friend yim he has a quote saying Quote, we are Iriali and part of the long trail, of which this is the fourth land. Eventually, all will be gathered back in when the seventh land is attained, and we will once again become one. End quote. Ooh, maybe all this talk about like advanced space flight and crisscrossing about the Cosmere is getting yeah, closer exactly what to, i was just saying earlier yeah, exactly all of all the one. different peoples will all come together and once again be one people perhaps with one ad nauseum just like yim said i'm blown blown away by the possible that idea of like you know a full loop when it's just like mm, oh yeah everything that was said at the very beginning uh is where we get to at the end it's just how all the best stories are. And if that's how this story ends up being, I will... It's the circle of life. Or the Wheel of Time. Or, Ooh, you know, true. a bunch of other the Dark Tower series. There's a lot of <laughs> uh, different novels and works that have that as their function. And Brandon, I guess, has hinted at it, that there is kind of this returning to where we were before all at an was split and broken mm-hmm. maybe we're bringing it back together uh-huh. but it's so big that it's like impossible to hold in your head all the different aspects that could be leading us there uh but if yeah we get to be like 70 year old individuals and finally put down the last book in the cosmere 
uh, and we're like, oh, it's perfect. I'm going to be so happy. <laughs> I mean, I'm anticipating that that will be the case. Um, but okay, but going back to this quote, okay, so Taldane is the planet of white sand. Chris is from Taldane. And Rashar is apparently the fourth land of the trail. Which one is the seventh land? Like, I would have guessed Rashar, Rashar would have been the last one. But apparently Rashar is only fourth. And then the Iriali are from somewhere else and have traveled here sometime in the distant past or something. I think this is definitely one where we just need to go Rafo read and find out because I know, but so interesting. It's just like it asks, it brings up so many new interesting questions. I think my brain is turned to mush. Here we go. <laughs> Let's continue. Oh, on. This next one's really good. Go, go for it. Quote, at the end of Oathbringer, or near the end, Kaladin is talking to Syl about not getting Shallan or whatever, and he says that she really just reminded him of someone. Who is it that she reminded him of? Brandon answers. She reminded him of Tien, his brother, because his brother was a burgeoning lightweaver, and lightweavers, you'll notice, when they're around someone, that person starts to act a little bit more like a little bit of their best self. There's a bit of also counteraction to feelings of darkness and despair. It's just a natural light weaver sort of thing. And so part of what Kaladin was drawing from Shallan was that feeling. I think it could have totally become love. And he's now cutting that off. He's saying it couldn't at all have become. It could have. But that was part of what was drawing him in. End quote. I love that little detail. And I thought it was an interesting, I had never put that together before that like part of Lightweaver's sort of aura is this like helping people be their best self in some way, like almost holding up a mirror for them to see like the mirror of Erised sort of in Harry Potter, like they get to see the possibility of their best self and by seeing it start to become their best self. And then also the idea of like mental or philosophical light, as well as the physical light that we see when, you know, light weavers make their illusions, but more of the mental light of uh, alleviating those dark mental clouds that can accumulate. Yeah. And I think the, way that we see that with Shallan is so present with her brothers who are dealing with, you know, depression of their messed up family. And even her dad, honestly. Yeah. Her dad kind of mentions that she lightens up the house and like brings a presence. And it's throughout her story, whether she's meeting with the sailors looking for Yasna, uh, the not so great individuals that eventually become her squires. Um, she draws Adeline. them. Yeah, it, I mean, she, she she draws them as a little bit better version of themselves. And then when they see that, it almost makes them want to become that person. It is fantastic for Kaladin, in my perspective, because when he first has, quote unquote, romantic feelings, but may more just be having this feeling that Brandon just outlined um, is when they're at the bottom of yeah. the chasms and they're kind of lost and hopeless and Kaladin's getting real down 
and it's Shalon does something, but she, and she smiles. She smiles at a joke she tells. Oh, or, it's the best because he assumes that because she is able to keep a positive outlook that she must have had, you know, just a super cushy, noble woman life. And so it's easy for her to have a positive outlook. And she intimates to him that actually her life has been incredibly difficult and she's dealt with a lot of darkness. And then she smiles at him and he thinks, oh my God, she smiled anyway. Yeah. Even though there is all of this darkness, she keeps smiling just like Tien. And I think that is really what Brandon's saying here is that while he felt something from Shalon in that way, in that like natural light weaver way, and even Brandon thought it might have developed into a relationship, Kaladin is identifying it for himself. Um, and then that's what makes it so they cannot develop into a relationship. I'd really hate for this to be like a how I met your mother situation where they <laughs> actually end up together after clearly defining that they cannot be together because that is what has happened for Kaladin. He is saying, no, this this isn't going to be a relationship because what I was feeling was this feeling of of Tien, of the light yeah. nature. And that there are qualities that, you know, would draw them together where like, in a different timeline, you know, maybe they end up together. But in the timeline that we're in, these qualities that uh, complement each other in those two will hopefully just turn into like a really awesome friendship and team and, you know, team relationship that they're able to bring that is equally as important as a romantic relationship. And I that's something I really like about Brandon Sanderson's books is that he explores all relationships in our lives with I think equal depth where I think a lot of fantasy worlds and just like fiction works media in general focus heavily on romantic relationships and I love that Brandon Sanderson's worlds have parent parental relationships and sibling relationships and friendships and mentorships and teams and group uh, dynamics um, all of these things that make our lives really deep and rich. Moving right along to Iridium Savant, who asks, quote, does the high storm, no high storm rotation of the weeping have to do with Ashen's relative location to Rashar? Brandon Sanderson answers, no, but great question. Such an interesting question. I'm assuming the idea behind that is something like the tides on Earth being caused by the moon and its relationship to Earth. So that's cool and such a good question. Great question. Yeah. Why do the storms rotate in that particular way? Moving now to the topic of religion, uh, at another Germany signing, somebody asked, did the Dadrada religion originate on Nalthus? And Brandon said, it's influenced by Nalthian ideas, but I wouldn't say it originated there. But there is a connection there. Dadrada being a one of the religions that uh, Sazed, obviously, presents um, to one of the crew members. It is all about, like, color. And uh, Sazed said that their religion... Um, was a lot of like writing poetry and describing the colorful world around them. It's like this religion of 
art. So I think this idea of all of these religions that Sazed brings up in Mistborn having some connection, you know, in real life, not just being a myth or a story, but having some connection to real things, particularly real things on other planets, to be very, very interesting. And on my next reread of Mistborn, that is something I will certainly be looking out for. Yeah, anytime Zazed mentions a religion, yeah. it's like focusing a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think this concept that maybe all the religions or all the different belief forms are splinters themselves of the pre-adenalsium stuff, the mythology pre-adenalsium. And so, you know, on Nalthus, they have a very color-heavy, color-inspired society but on different worlds you can get kind of the same basic feelings or emotions or um, beliefs that kind of develop into religions over enough time it begs the question you know when we start to look at era two and era three when we are talking about some of the different shards coming in to our Skadrian system, namely autonomy and the religion that is somewhat Trelegism, yeah. which we also hear about early from, on in Mistborn from Sazed. Yeah, and then becomes more important uh, in Era 2 and we and expect it's unclear, Era 3. It's unclear if autonomy has hijacked that religion as like a tool for him to use or if it pre-existed and then Sazed is just talking about the thing that already existed. It will definitely be a yeah. big part of Era 2 ending and Era 3. So keep an eye out for any mentions of Trell uh, in that same way. And then a related question, someone else asked, uh, was the Astalsi religion somehow edited so that Sazed remembered it as the Dodrodal religion? So another religion that, um, you know, is very similar. And Brandon Sanderson said, these two religions are branches of a more ancient religion. Nothing was edited in this case. So going back to what you were saying about everything kind of having traces back to similar roots, it seems like that is the case. Some little random things from signings. A fan asked Brandon to personalize his signature with a hint about what Hoyd's quest is. And along with his signature, Brandon wrote, to make that which once was. Probably hinting at adenalsium there. Or That's what I would think. Are there other possibilities that could be maybe, I don't know, to make that which once was. Could be, yeah, like big picture, putting Adenalsium back together. But I almost feel like Hoyt is too selfish for that. And we have seen at least like small glimpses into his past personal life saying that he's like lost somebody that he loved. So maybe it has something to do with like resurrecting that person or bringing them back or like going back in time somehow interesting things to ponder but when you're sitting up at night wondering what it is hoyt is doing <laughs> brandon says it's to make that which once was interesting what about this one would a single spike be sufficient to staple a cognitive shadow to a mist wraith brandon says yes 
that could happen. And then the questioner came back with a follow-up. Did that happen in the past? Brandon says, that's a read and find out, I'm afraid. Who are you thinking about? Kelsier, of course. Well, he is somehow in the physical realm, and he does look like himself, doesn't he? Dun, dun, dun! And I think there we have... We have talked answer. about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we have a bunch of times speculated on what did Kelsier do? What is his body? Yeah. How did he get here? And I think this makes a bunch of sense. We know that a mist wraith who is given two spikes can become a faceless immortal. If you had a cognitive shadow that kind of laid down on top of mist wraith and then spiked right through you could imagine that the cognitive shadow would be imprinted onto the physical realm's mist wraith and then have the ability to, like a faceless immortal, change their um, their physical appearance. Yeah, where like for the faceless immortals, like one spike gives them sentience and then the second spike gives them like a power, right? In this case... Kelsier already has sentience. He has his cognitive shadow. So all he needs is that one spike to like mesh them together. So when you see Kelsier running around, who is thought to be the Lord Kelsier Ruler. Kelsier slash the Lord Ruler. In Era 2, probably what that is, is a mist wraith that has Kelsier's cognitive shadow bolted to it. Like, uh, you know, Peter Pan in the original? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to, like, staple his shadow. His shadow back on. Yes, that's basically what I'm imagining is that the Mist Wraith is the thing we see in the physical realm, and then it takes the form of Kelsier's body, uh, but the cognitive shadow has been, like, bolted on through the hemallergic spike, and that's what is running around Era 2. Weird and creepy. Weird and <laughs> creepy. Also brings up a whole bunch of... <laughs> different questions that i'm really hoping for like a misborn secret history part two or, or just i think he said that that is could be happening, yeah, yeah something he's thought about all right we are gonna wrap it up with this last question that is great question how did hoyd get the name cephandrius brandon sanderson says cephandrius Cephandrius is one of the very earliest aliases, not his real name, but very soon after he stopped using his real name. Questioner says, okay, is there any relation to his real name with that? Brandon Sanderson says, I will give you a Raffo card, which I love because Cephandrius, if you break it down to Latin and Greek roots, Ceph means a uh, Head, Andr means man. So he is like the head man, the like chieftain sort of like the person in charge is what Cephandrius like means if you break it down. So that to me, like this whole question to me is sort of hinting at that. Oh man, could he have been the guy who was in charge of the quest for adenalsium that eventually ends. led to the shattering yeah totally could be and then it's not a name but a title a title and mm -hmm. he takes that upon himself as his name because mm -hmm. everyone is just like hey sephandrius interesting great questions people are so smart well 
to round us out, here is a question for you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. If you could ask Brandon Sanderson one question, what would it be? Ooh. Um, can we be best friends? <laughs> no, a uh, Cosmere question, obviously. I think that there was a question that struck me just this last weekend when I had like a bunch of real world things going on, you know, IRL, uh, that then related back to multiple Cosmere things. And obviously everything in our real lives relate to the Cosmere. Exactly. Uh, That's normal for all of you, right? The thing that happened is that I bought a medicine, a medicine that is designed to take care of bacteria and infections uh, like staph infection, okay? That medicine is made with silver, silver sulfonide. Yeah, the active ingredient is silver. Okay, so I didn't know this when I was going to buy the medicine, and then I like read the instructions, and I'm just like, it just has silver in it. What the heck is silver doing to bacteria? And then that is where my little brain started turning, because as previously mentioned, on- Where else have we seen silver be an active ingredient? Exactly. (laughs) So on Threnody, we know that in order to defeat, trap the shades, silver is used. Silver blades, silver dust, it can heal the wounds from the shades if you like dump silver or- ingest silver so that was immediately like wait are the shades a bacteria or passing around bacteria or is a bacteria infecting the dead bodies to make them into shades it would make sense if it was some kind of infection getting passed like a zombie infection yeah, kind of. Yeah, but instead of turning into zombies, they turn into shades, which yeah. are almost zombies, but I mean, scary. Yeah. So basically, and then we know that like bacteria, as we have previously just talked about, we know that's present on the ashenite yeah. system. Or like just microorganisms yeah, yeah. in general, yeah. So if on our world, silver is used to fight, kill bacterial infections, and silver is used on threnody, to fight the shades, my question for Brandon would be, is silver effective on Threnody against the shades because it is attacking or defeating a bacteria on that planet? Something like that. That's my my general question. Very interesting. What I want to know is if anyone else has made that connection, is there some like micro biologist who is sitting there just like obviously duh didn't everybody get this it's like this is the clearest thing that's ever been in any of these books i don't know it was just the first time that i had ever had that circumstance or situation yeah i've never heard of that before of like silver in medicine yeah but that that is the medicine it's just silver it's just like a (laughs) silver with a gel or something and so that's my question is silver effective because it is attacking some type of bacteria or microorganism that is present in the shades as we are anticipating other 
book signing events coming up in 2020. I know we will be hopefully going to some book signings when uh, Stormlight 4 comes out. Uh, let us know what you guys are brainstorming as questions to ask Brandon if you have any juicy questions that have not been asked yet. Um, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. We'll also be starting a full reread probably later this year. I'm thinking about doing um, a like book club, reading club kind of forum on our Facebook page by creating a group to go along with our page. So if that is something you're interested in, um, let me know. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, if you haven't liked us on Facebook already, do it and then you can be in our book club. I think that's it. I think we have just had a magnificent episode full of Brandon's words and all the stuff that he says. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm-hmm.